Today, the United States is designating North Korea as a state sponsor of terrorism. Hey, great. One step closer to war. Happy Thanksgiving. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast that's heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., up in Santa Barbara, 98.7 uh, FM, in, in San Diego, 93.7 FM, Ridgecrest in China Lake, California, on 99.5 FM, up in Oregon on 91.7 KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 KSO in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on 92.9 WLRI. Boy, I'm off to a great start. In Maui, on 88.5 FM in K on KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN 94.1. Palinville, New York, on 102.9 WLPP. Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, New Orleans, WHIV 102.3, and in Washington, D.C. on 105.5, and Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com even if I'm a little bit confused as we start today's show thank you very much for joining us a lot of breaking news here going on yet again today we'll try to get to as much of it as we can uh, coming up following last week among the breaking news following last week's 210,000 gallon dirty tar sands oil spill in South Dakota On the Keystone Pipeline, officials in Nebraska met today to hold their vote on a proposed route, the latest proposed route for the Keystone XL Pipeline extension that will run through the state of Nebraska. We will talk with Desi Doyen about what they decided to do and what they didn't discuss at today's meeting up in Nebraska following Donald Trump's approval of the Keystone XL pipeline permit that Barack Obama had rejected two years earlier. Also, Trump, as you heard in the uh, open quote there, is raising the stakes in his dangerous warmongering and saber-rattling with North Korea today. We will discuss that and try to take your calls on that and uh, anything else you'd like to talk about as we head into the Thanksgiving holiday week. (sighs) And uh, as Republicans hope to pass before the holiday, if they can, a massive tax cut for corporations that will result in increased taxes for many low and middle income Americans. There must be something to be thankful for this year, right? I'm on the watch for such stories this uh, this week in particular. Uh, if you got any, feel free to give us a call. 818-985-5735 will be our phone number if you'd like to line up early 
and wait on hold. But first, this just in, literally moments ago, the Justice Department is suing AT&T to stop its $85 billion purchase of Time Warner, setting the stage for an epic legal battle with the telecom giant, says AP. The government claims that consumer bills will rise if the merger goes through, saying the deal would substantially lessen competition, resulting in higher prices and less innovation for millions of Americans. AT&T would be able to charge rival distributors such as cable companies, quote, hundreds of millions of dollars more per year for Time Warner's networks, according to the Department of Justice in a press release just issued. Now, that might normally be good news because they're right. It will lead to increased prices Uh, for those of us who live out here in in California and in Los Angeles with uh, cable. uh, Who did we used to have? Time Warner that we were forced to switch over to Spectrum. And right now I'm paying about $80 a month more for cable television than I was before the merger just a few months back. So, yeah, normally the Department of Justice stopping one of these mega mergers would be great news. Uh, But for the questions about how much of this has to do with the Trump administration's attempt to somehow punish CNN, whose parent company is owned by Time Warner because, you know, CNN reports news and stuff, usually accurately, about Donald Trump. AP notes that the government's objections to the deal have surprised many on Wall Street. AT&T and Time Warner are not direct competitors, and mergers between such companies have typically had an easier time winning government approval. In an email statement on Monday, AT&T General Counsel said the lawsuit is, quote, radical and inexplicable. A radical and inexplicable departure from decades of antitrust precedent and that the company is confident that a court will reject the government's claims. Well, we'll see. As mentioned, normally I would be happy to hear about a corporate merger like this being blocked by the government since it so rarely happens. And it might even be nice to believe that the Trump administration had some concern about media companies getting too large and a lack of competition between them. That would be nice to believe, but it seems that concern is, to put it nicely, very selective with this administration at best. A couple of weeks ago on this program, we spoke with media reform activist Sue Wilson of the Media Action Center about the plans that the uh, Federal Communications Commission chief, Ajit Pai, Donald Trump's very right-wing selection to chair the FCC about about his planned vote to kill what amounts to some of the very last of the protections that had been in place for our nation's public airwaves. Very few, if any, uh, including Democrats and media alike, not to mention Republicans, of course, very few had been setting off the alarms about this vote at the FCC. Well, that vote happened late last week and, as expected, on the commission, which has two Democrats and two Republicans and a chair, which is appointed by whoever sits in the White House, that commission voted to gut some of the last regulations keeping one company from pretty much buying up all of the TV stations and their newsrooms in your hometown. Moreover, the decades-old FCC regulations 
that have now been gutted had prevented a company from both owning uh, both a, a newspaper and a television station in the same town and helped the the type of huge uh, prevent the, the 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 type of huge corporate media mergers that we have seen elsewhere at least when it comes to the publicly owned airwaves that we, the people, are supposed to have control over. Incredibly enough, as Dana Floberg of the nonpartisan media watchdog group FreePress.net noted recently, Chairman Pai had made the case in a recent New York Times op-ed that the reason this rule needed to be done away with after decades of helping to ensure at least some independence at the local level of broadcasting, for example, on local TV news, which surveys have shown people trust more than they do network or, uh, or cable news, um, Pai argued, Chairman Pai argued that the rule change was needed to help, quote, the struggle, to help rescue the struggling newspaper industry. That's why he had to do away with these uh, with these protections that kept these large companies from buying up all of the local TV stations all over the country. Now, the newspaper industry is certainly struggling, but is allowing a handful of major corporations to buy up TV stations and newspapers in your town the best way to help struggling papers? For that matter, uh, would it would it help those papers at all if this if this happened? Or would it only serve to further dilute all of our local media reporting uh, and uh, and the public airwaves ownership of that uh, news that comes out across those across those local TV stations? Well, last week, shortly after the FCC's vote, FreePress.net tweeted, "Say goodbye to local media." The FCC just voted to destroy media ownership protections. Joining us now to talk about this, to explain what happened, what it means and may mean, and what, if anything, can still be done to resist this very disturbing and alarmingly underreported news, frankly, is Dana Floberg. She is a policy analyst at FreePress.net working on media and telecom issues and the author of that recent blog item I referenced there titled... Ajit Pai's big media handout won't help communities. Dana Floberg, welcome to the broadcast. Hi, thank you so much. Really appreciate you joining us here. I guess precipitously timed uh, with this news about AT and T, the the Justice Department suing to stop this merger between AT and T uh, and and Time Warner. So uh, before we get into what I had hoped to ask you about today, Dana, uh, any thoughts on this uh, on this lawsuit by the Justice Department to to block this mega merger? Yeah, well, I think you you definitely hit the nail on the head there. Uh, the, the AT&T and Time Warner merger objection is, on the one hand, something that uh, we're, we definitely see as an optimistic thing. We think it's right that mm-hmm. this deal be blocked. There's right. definitely a lot of harms uh, that this deal would, would have on, on consumers, on, on people trying to access the Internet or cable. But we're also very concerned about Trump's saber-rattling, and we hope that the Justice Department going forward, they have to demonstrate that... Trump's desire to punish outlets like CNN uh, has nothing to do with this lawsuit, that they are, that they are objecting to AT&T, Time Warner, because it's the right thing to do, 
as opposed to uh, it's the right thing to do for Trump's personal vendetta against mm. CNN. And they will have to show that, I guess, in this in this lawsuit. And and to be clear, when you talk about saber rattling, since we will be talking hopefully about Korea in a little bit, you're talking about the the saber rattling, the 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 threats and so forth that Trump has made against CNN in this case. Yes, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> all of the talk of fake news. <laughs> all right, good. Uh, all right, so let's let's start for a moment uh, moving to the FCC, which does not seem to have the uh, interest in blocking these big mergers as uh, the Department of Justice is claiming that they have. Um, so, Dana Floberg, let's talk about this big picture. If the gutting of this regulation uh, is not in some way blocked in the courts, I know that Free Press has said they plan to sue against this decision made late last week by the FCC. Uh, what will the new reversal of regulations by the FCC allow specifically that has otherwise been prevented uh, for about almost the last 50 years or so, thanks to those previous FCC regulations, which are getting gutted now. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of different things that would now be allowed uh, with the FCC's decision to gut rules. As you mentioned, the newspaper broadcast cross-ownership rule has been lost entirely. The radio-television cross-ownership rule has been lost entirely. And really importantly, we've cut something called the local television ownership rule, which prevented broadcasters from owning more than one top four popular broadcast television station in a specific community. Mm -hmm. So just with those three changes alone, suddenly a broadcaster that uh, only owned one popular station in your community mm -hmm. could own up to two uh, two major te broadcast television stations, your local newspaper, your local radio station, could own all of those and conglomerate those news operations into one shared newsroom so that you've got the same news in your paper that's on your radio, that's on multiple channels. Uh, and one of the other things that the FCC... The, the, the same news, whether it's accurate news or not, that would be absolutely. shared across all of those platforms. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry to cut you off. Absolutely, yeah. So one of the other things, though, that uh, the FCC did was they legitimized a form of shady broadcasting arrangements known as joint sales agreements, or mm -hmm. JSAs. And JSAs effectively allow big broadcasters to run the news operations of otherwise competing stations. Mm -hmm. So in addition to owning your newspaper, your radio station, multiple television stations, the same broadcaster could effectively control multiple other broadcast television stations mm. in your market so that you would be sitting there changing the channel, trying to look for different news, a different perspective, somebody mm. else covering different stories, and just find the same news on all of these different channels. And now Chairman Pai has said that, oh, well, uh, you can't, because a few weeks ago we talked with Sue Wilson. She said, ultimately here, this could result in a single company sort of owning all of the TV stations. And uh, Ajit Pai responded to say, no, no, there's still this limit uh, they can know uh, they can't own any more than two but uh, he also said if I'm if I've got this right Dana that he that the FCC is reserving the right to review issues on a case-by-case -case basis so if they decide down the road that hey uh, nothing wrong with this company owning three or four or six you know all of the TV outlets the FCC reserves the right I guess to allow that to happen as well do I understand that correctly 
well, yes. So the FCC consistently reevaluates its media ownership rules. Uh, it's supposed to be every four years, but it's sort of comes and goes when they can uh, when they can put aside the time to do it. Mm-hmm. But so these rules could absolutely be rolled back even further going forward, and we certainly would expect to see that since uh, Chairman Pai has made it very clear that he's never met a broadcast merger he doesn't like. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, that is limited to two, but one of the things that, that I think is really interesting about this is that the real motivation behind these changes is very clearly about allowing, we think in this case, a specific uh, media merger, the Sinclair Broadcasting attempted purchase of Tribune Media. Mm-hmm. And we think that that has a lot to do with the specific changes that Commissioner Pai decided to make. Right now, the Tribune, uh, the Sinclair Tribune merger would violate uh, the local ownership rules by owning two popular stations in a dozen different markets. Mm -hmm. Getting rid of that rule, making that rule a case-by-case basis, suddenly means it's a lot easier for Chairman Pai and the rest of the FCC majority to pass that merger through, even though it so clearly violates the rules. And it seems like, yeah, Sinclair, and for people who don't know, this far, far uh, right-wing corporate outlet, uh, if this merger, if that one is allowed to go through, and if these FCC requirements are lowered, that means that Sinclair, this far, far right-wing outlet, literally, that, you know, requires local stations to run these right-wing commentaries during the local news, then Sinclair would end up reaching some 72% of the U.S. population with their local stations, if that is allowed to go through. Dana, uh, how do we square the idea that the Department of Justice is here arguing uh, that this merger between AT&T and uh, uh, Time Warner will, you know, will kill competition? How do we square the argument they're making there with the other argument that they seem to be making when it comes to this uh, Sinclair uh, uh, Tribune media merger that, oh, that's fine. We're good with that going forward. Do we expect that the arguments they're making against uh, uh, the Time Warner case will be applied by someone to say, hey, why aren't you making that same case when it comes to Sinclair and uh, Tribune media? Unfortunately, we we don't expect to see that. Uh, We typically have seen uh, that when it comes to broadcast and traditional media, there's a lot of strange ideas out there that people have about how we try and reinvigorate traditional media and how we keep it around, largely because we have broadcast lobby, the broadcast lobby and companies like Sinclair pushing this idea that the path to more diversity is fewer voices, mm-hmm. that the path to more competition is fewer competitors, <laughs> and that the path to more localism is greater distance from the communities <laughs> these broadcasters are supposed to serve. Right. So because this idea is out there, we don't really expect... Uh, this kind of analysis to to be made. And part of that is because uh, this rule change that the FCC just made last week is actually the culmination of a series of decisions that they have been making that Chairman Pai has been leading the FCC in. And one of them, just to come back to, as you mentioned, if Sinclair and Tribune are allowed to merge, they will reach 72% of the population. Mm-hmm. To put that in perspective, There is a national limit uh, set by Congress that says that no broadcaster can reach more than 39% of the population. Mm -hmm. But earlier this year, the FCC reinstated 
uh, this obsolete loophole called the UHF discount so that Sinclair can count its audience cap for about half of what its audience actually is. <laughs> so even though if this merger goes through, they will reach 72% of the population, this weird loophole will allow them to say, uh, we only reach 40% actually, and to get closer to coming in uh, compliance with that rule even though they've clearly violated the spirit of it. They're changing the way math is done in order yeah. to accommodate this, it seems. Anything, yeah. anything to allow Sinclair to get what they want, the FCC, specifically under the leadership of Chairman Pai, has been trying to make happen. They've been rushing all of these changes through, forcing them through, just to try and make it so that these changes are in place by the time they would have to approve or deny I don't know how they, because I suspect uh, outside parties, whether it's free press or anyone else, uh, could also try to sue to block such a merger. It's going to be very interesting to watch what happens. The case that the Department of Justice is making against AT&T and Time Warner, uh, if they do make those arguments that, uh, you know, even if the DOJ or the FCC won't make the case, outside uh, organizations could make and say, hey, how, how can you make this argument here but not make it there? Uh, so that'll be interesting to watch. But uh, Dana, uh, Chairman Pai also made the argument in his New York Times op-ed that this uh, that that doing away with these rules, some of the last protection that we have left for our public airwaves, uh, that doing away with that rule will somehow be good for struggling newspapers. Uh, if he's right, how how would that help uh, local papers to survive, as he argues? And is he in fact right about that portion of his argument? Uh, no, he's absolutely wrong here. Um... He's, he's the only thing that, that Chairman Pai gets right here is that he, he makes the statement that the media landscape has changed dramatically in the past several decades, which it absolutely has with the advent of cable and the Internet. There are a lot more digital outlets. But the real question we should be asking is, is this the right policy solution to deal with those changes? And the answer is absolutely not. Furthermore, what Pai is suggesting and what he has done now is nothing new. We've already tried using deregulation and consolidation to help reinvigorate struggling newspapers and other traditional media outlets, mm -hmm. and it hasn't worked. We've seen more journalists being laid off. We've seen newsrooms being shuttered. We've seen communities still struggling to find news that they can trust, especially in this political moment. And all of these things have been happening as the broadcast and newspaper industries have been hit with wave after wave of consolidation mm -hmm. that have only been allowed because these rules have been slowly lobbied to death by the broadcast industry since they were put into place. So Pies claims that somehow everything will be solved if all of these outlets, if big conglomerates like Sinclair can just buy everybody up, is absolutely counterfactual. When Sinclair buys a new station, buys and goes through one of these mergers because its, its decision to buy Tribune is, is not at all. It's, it's first attempted merging. Sinclair Broadcasting is already the largest broadcaster in the U.S. Mm -hmm. When they've done this before, when they've bought other outlets, one of the first things they do is they go through and they gut their newsrooms. They fire reporters and they shove the dregs of, of what they keep around into single newsrooms mm -hmm. so that you have one reporter trying to do the job of three and then, as you mentioned before, forcing, taking, taking these journalists' work and then forcing 
pro-Trump propaganda onto their onto their airwaves, even when the journalists who are there are trying to be responsive to the public. I, I find this to be wildly dangerous, incredibly disturbing, and uh, frankly troubling. You know, because I've seen I've seen firsthand how the lack of competition that Republicans pretend to believe in. But when they get rid of, when they allow these mergers, the competition goes away because these huge, uh, you know, in in radio, these radio conglomerates uh, buy up all the stations. uh, And then there is no more competition between those uh, those stations. So I can't see how that would be any better for local TV than it has been for local radio in that regard. Uh, but Dana, under uh, Chairman Powell uh, of the when he was uh, running the FCC under the George W. Bush administration, I think that he ch- similarly tried to weaken media ownership rules, but was uh, but was reversed, as I understand it at the time, by the courts, which found that protections for media ownership by women and minorities were gutted uh, by the FCC when they changed th- uh, or attempted to change some of those regulations back then. Has the FCC this time? Time, as far as you can tell, done any better due diligence to avoid the the ruling they faced last time by the federal courts? Have they done more studies? Has there been a an, an open public comment period at at, at all for this uh, for these rules? Uh, effectively, no. Um, basically, so yeah, there's been a long history with this uh, with this particular issue with the media ownership rules, where the FCC makes a rulemaking. They're taken to court, and those changes have been often thrown out or told that they need to do more studies, they need a more comprehensive record in order to justify making those changes. And so last in August of 2016, the commission adopted a new rule, uh, adopted these rules, largely keeping the rules the same. And what Chairman Pai has just done was granted a petition for reconsideration, which is a fancy way to say the broadcasters said, wait, wait, we don't like you keeping the rules the same. Please change them. And after no public input, no additional record, has granted those and dramatically changed all of these rules without asking for any additional public input, without opening the public record for more comment, has done all of this based on an 11-month-old petition by broadcasters by the broadcast lobby, which was just mm-hmm. disappointed to have lost in that latest round. So, no, they haven't done any new research. They haven't done any new studies uh, to justify making these changes. They've done none of the research that the court asked them to do, and which is part of the reason that, uh, that we, we are taking them to court. We feel that they've, they've failed the public, and they've also failed to uphold the ruling of the court. So Free Press is, in fact, you can confirm going to or has already filed a lawsuit to try to uh, to try to roll back this rollback of regulations? Yes, yes, we, we will be filing a lawsuit to oppose the FCC's decision to roll back these rules. I'm very happy to hear that. What, if anything, can Americans do at this point? You know, when we talked with Sue Wilson a few weeks ago, uh, she had set up a page at uh, MediaActionCenter.net to contact the FCC, to send email to the commissioners, so at least there would be a public record in the event of a of a lawsuit like the one that uh, Free Press will be uh, will be filing. Is there anything that Americans can do at this point to help reverse this reversal, or are we or or are we stuck with this and? 
hoping and praying that, you know, stations like KPFK here can uh, somehow continue to manage to survive against all the corporate behemoths that are going to be buying up all of our public airwaves very quickly. Definitely. Yes, there's, there's definitely things that, um, that the public can do uh, at www.freepress.net. There are different, uh, we also have a petition that, that people can sign that will add your comment to the record. Uh, we're also looking for organizational support as we try to get the resources to fight this lawsuit. Uh, so folks interested in trying to join that fight can also, again, find out how at our website. Um, and yeah, trying to speak up about this calling the FCC, being, being public about your disapproval of these changes and how important public media is, we've really just got to change the conversation so that this idea that deregulation and consolidation are, are the only answers and the best answers really gets, gets pushed out and replaced with this need to focus on actually committing and to localism and diversity and competition in our local media. Yeah, I think we, we do. We have to talk about it more. We have to, uh, you know, I'm, I, I know that a lot of people and, and you guys at, F, at uh, Free Press work a lot on net neutrality and that issue concerning the Internet. But when it comes to our public airwaves, we have seen how it is just devastated uh, any and all non-right-wing, non-corporate uh, conversation over our public airwaves on the on the radio. You know, good luck finding shows like this versus uh, Rush Limbaugh and all of these uh, right-wingers who are all over our public airwaves. I'm very concerned the same thing is going to happen uh, to television as well. We need to keep up that fight. So, Dana Floberg, please keep in touch as this moves forward. We'd love to have you back on to uh, talk about the fight and the lawsuit after it gets filed. Uh, Dana Floberg is policy analyst at freepress.net. Uh, you can uh, find their work on the Twitters at Free Press, on the Internet at freepress.net. And you can talk to Dana herself, if you like, on the Twitter. She is Dana underscore flow. Dana, really appreciate you joining us here today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was great. You bet. All right. We will uh, talk again to her in the hopefully near future. And we will talk to you straight ahead. If you'd like to ring in on any of this, our phone number is 818-985-5735. 818-985-5735. We'll also have an update on the news out of Nebraska on the uh, Keystone XL pipeline, just days after more than 200,000 gallons of dirty tar sands crude leaked out of the existing Keystone pipeline in South Dakota. That and Korea and your calls and hopefully much more straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. <laughs> Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Yep. 
Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Your calls on my conversation there with Dana Floberg and this plan by the FCC to further gut protections against a full corporate takeover of our public airwaves. Our phone number is 818-985-5735 if you'd like to ring in on that, 818-985-KPFK or whatever else you would like to talk about today. Got any good news that we can all be uh, thankful for this week? As the holiday approaches, 818-985-5735. I will take it if I can. All right, as noted at the top of the show, uh, late last week, 210,000 gallons of dirty tar sands crude spilled from the Keystone Pipeline in South Dakota, just as those who had protested against it had predicted would happen. And it happens just before the uh, it happened just before the Nebraska Public Service Commission was set to vote today on whether to approve. One of the proposed routes for the Keystone XL pipeline, the even bigger, even dirtier pipeline going through Nebraska and then down to uh, Texas to be uh, shipped off from the Gulf of Mexico overseas all the way from Canada. Um, that after President Obama had rejected the permit request from TransCanada two years ago to build that massive pipeline extension uh, and then Donald Trump uh, approved it shortly thereafter. Well, now a uh, new uh, Nebraska commission met to discuss the newly approved by Donald Trump and newly proposed route through Nebraska for this long delayed eight billion dollar uh, project. Desi Doyen, how'd that meeting go today? Did they stop <laughs> this uh, pipeline from going through Nebraska? No, unfortunately, they did not. Those who are opposing the pipeline are still going to have quite a fight on their hands. The Nebraska Public Service Commission voted three to two this morning to approve what they said was an alternate route, however. So that brings some complications. So it was three Republicans and two Democrats. Of course, the three Republicans. Actually, I think it's four Republicans on that commission uh, and one Democrat. Unless I'm mistaken, I think it's four to one. I think it's an elected commission which means if I'm right about that, and you may be more right than me, but if I'm right about that, that means that one of the Republicans would have voted against it if the vote was three All right, well, two. I will go back and In check and event. have yeah. an answer for you on that. The yeah. Democratic commissioner who made a public statement prior to the vote noted that the route is an alternate route, not the one that TransCanada had originally proposed. And she said it's still going to be this alternate route in an ecologically sensitive area that is sandy soils that are prone to landslides. She said they did not consult the Native American tribes in Nebraska. They uh, It will cross over crucial water supplies. TransCanada won't guarantee that the jobs will go to Nebraskans. And uh, TransCanada did not prove to her that the pipeline was beneficial in any way to Nebraska. But there is no guarantee so far that this will be built because it is an alternate route that is that mm -hmm. has been approved aside from the one that TransCanada initially wanted. That means that TransCanada now has to negotiate with new landowners on the new route to get their permission right of way. And in theory, if it's a different route, has that alternate route already been approved uh, as far as it environmental has, it, well, uh, studies and so forth? She said that it had not received an environmental impact mm -hmm. statement. So it depends on whether or not the Public Service Commission is going to accept a prior environmental impact statement and say, hey, this is only like five to ten miles east of the previous, so we don't have to do another one. So she was, she was very unhappy about 
about the lack of a new environmental impact statement. That, however, may give opponents a legal opportunity in court to stop this going forward. Um, so, first of all, there's there uh, the alternate route. Remember, it will require new right-of-way negotiations with homeowners. TransCanada has been a very bad actor in using eminent domain to seize private landowners, you know, land, ranchers, farmers, homeowners, uh, in order to make private profit for this foreign corporation. So that's another legal opportunity that Nebraskans can bring in court to stop this. Native American tribes have said they are going to sue as well because they were not consulted over this route as they are supposed to have been consulted. And finally, uh, TransCanada itself says it isn't sure it's going to build the pipeline. Um, Mm -hmm. It's going to evaluate this new route and the cost of building amid what have been persistently low global oil prices. Because the the plan that was approved by Donald Trump, as I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong here, is actually like a three-year-old plan. I think the plan went back to 2014. And in the plan, it had said that oil prices would never fall below $100 per uh, a barrel, and now oil is somewhere between 50 and 60. And has persistently remained there. Yes, times have changed And so there's a question last. whether TransCanada can even find the customers. for It could be TransCanada that ends up saying, you know what, uh, so never much. mind. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. XL. They have not secured any shippers yet for this supposedly, you know, this, mm-hmm. this, this major pipeline they want to build. So that's another area in which it may not ever get built at all. And then you mentioned the, the landowners. There's those a lot of angry landowners who do not want to have their land taken away from them, seized from them to build this pipeline. And I have to keep going back to, you know, these right wingers, these Republicans like Sean Hannity, who for years and years over on Fox News, pretended to be furious about the idea of eminent domain, allowing the government to come in and take the land of private citizens. And in this case, it's not even uh, it's not even for a governmental purpose. In this case, it's for a purely commercial purpose. Right. For a foreign country. Yes. And it's only Canada. And it will only create maximum 35 permanent jobs. And they wouldn't even guarantee those jobs would go to Nebraskans. So there's a lot against this. And we'll see if it by happens. the way, Trump, who said, oh, it's going to be made with uh, American steel yeah, when we make this. That's not going to happen. That's either. not going to happen either, right? Nope. Uh, so. Uh, 818 985 5735 is our phone number. 818 818- Nine eight five five seven three five. If you'd like to ring in on this, let me go to uh, Matt in Topanga. Hey, Matt, welcome to the broadcast. Hello, I haven't talked to you guys in a long time, Matt Prine. Uh, I've moved away and now I'm back. Oh, good. Uh, welcome back, Matt. I am sure. Um, but uh, anyway, you know, we can keep uh, plucking leaves off the weeds, but until we get to the roots of things, which is this entire structure, you know, I mean. We have got to actually implement a democracy. The Electoral College, oh, the Russians are coming. That's a great red herring from when we uh, were, for a minute, actually paying attention to the things that will make a big difference. Get rid of the Electoral College. Have state-owned banks so all those trillions of dollars of profit go to, to the coffers of the people, so on and so forth. We can match, We can patch the holes in the dams all day and mop it all up but we need to address the roots of things you know i'm, I'm glad that everybody wants to uh, pay attention to the particulars of the mess but i don't hear anybody talk about the roots thank you 
All right. I hear you, Matt. Thanks. I appreciate that call. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. If you'd like to ring in on uh, on uh, Keystone or the FCC or on Donald Trump, who on Monday officially designated North Korea as a state sponsor of terrorism, which, uh, as the New York Times notes, is a provocative diplomatic move that he said is aimed at dramatically increasing pressure on the uh, rogue nation to abandon its pursuit of nuclear weapons. North Korea will join Sudan, Syria, and Iran as countries that the State Department identifies as ones that have repeatedly, quote, repeatedly provided support for acts of international terrorism, here is uh, a portion of Trump's announcement today uh, prior to a cabinet meeting, I think, at the White House. Today, the United States is designating North Korea as a state sponsor of terrorism. Should have happened a long time ago. Should have happened years ago. In addition to threatening the world by nuclear devastation, North Korea has repeatedly supported acts of international terrorism, including assassinations on foreign soil. This designation will impose further sanctions and penalties on North Korea and related persons and supports our maximum pressure campaign to isolate the murderous regime. That was Donald Trump today announcing that uh, North Korea is going back on the list of state-sponsored terror nations. Trump has vowed to seek Quote, complete denuclearization in North Korea. He has uh, threatened fire and fury like the world has never seen if they don't give him that complete denuclearization. And he's vowed to completely destroy the country if they threatened the U.S. The president ordered an end to the policy of strategic patience pursued by his immediate predecessor, Barack Obama, in the hopes that North Korea's leader would eventually agree to negotiate, though Trump himself subsequently undermined the negotiation efforts that were being carried out by his own Secretary of State, Rex Tillerson. Still, uh, the Times reports it is unclear whether the terror designation will provide the president with new and powerful leverage to force nuclear negotiations or will simply deepen the rhetorical war of words between Trump and Kim Jong-un, the North Korean leader whom the president has mockingly called Little Rocket Man. North Korea was removed from the official State Department terror list nearly 20 years ago by uh, by, uh, uh, well, not 20 years ago, actually, this would have been uh, about, well, almost 20 years at this point, uh, by President George W. Bush, who in 2008 saw North Korea being on the State, uh, State Department's terror list and saw removing them from that list as an opportunity to try to salvage some sort of nuclear deal in which North Korea would agree to halt its nuclear programs. But then uh, George W. Bush pretty much himself abandoned those efforts as well. So they were removed from the list of state sponsors of terrorism, uh, and then they were allowed to move ahead with their nuclear program. Trump's decision to blacklist North Korea again, which reflects his policy of applying, quote, maximum pressure on the country, will likely invite angry reactions from the Kim regime and uh, will likely dim chances for easing tensions on the Korean peninsula, the opposite, frankly, of what it is that 
Donald Trump claims to be interested in. Trump said that the Treasury Department on Tuesday will announce new, tougher sanctions on North Korea to accompany the designation. Uh, He said it will be the highest level of sanctions, though, you know, all of the sanctions that he's issued against North Korea have not led uh, to apparently any reduction in the testing of their uh, nuclear program or their ballistic missile program, which we have talked about quite a bit on this program, as I continue to be quite concerned about Donald Trump having his his finger on the button. Are you? 818-985-5735 is our phone number, 818-985-5735. Over the weekend on this point not unrelated at all to North Korea. Uh, the the top officer at the U.S. Strategic Command said on Saturday, uh, said on Saturday that an order from President Trump or any of his successors to launch nuclear weapons can be refused if that order is determined to be illegal. Well, we know that. Uh, But how do we determine what is an illegal order and what is not? Air Force General John Hyten, commander of Strategic Command, told a panel at the Halifax International Security Forum over the weekend that he and Trump have had conversations about such a scenario and that he would tell Trump that he could not carry out an illegal strike Though we'll talk about what uh, how that determination is made. Here is uh, Air Force General uh, John Hyten over the weekend. I think some people think we're stupid. <laughs> we're not stupid people. We, we think about these things a lot. When you have this responsibility, how do you not think about it? Mm. The law of armed conflict has certain principles. Uh, necessity, distinction, proportionality, unnecessary suffering. All those things are defined because If you execute an unlawful order, you will go to jail. You could go to jail for the rest of your life. It applies to nuclear weapons. It applies to small arms. It applies to to small unit tactics. It applies to everything, and we apply it as we go through it. It's it's not that difficult. And the way the process works is it's simple. I provide advice to the president. He'll tell me what to do. And if it's it's illegal, guess what's going to happen? You say no. I'm going to say, Mr. President, that's illegal. And guess what he's going to do? He's going to say, what would be legal? And we'll come up with options of a mix of capabilities to respond to whatever the situation is. And that's the way it works. So that's the way it works. Uh, We don't have to worry. Uh, He he thinks that we think that uh, Air Force generals are stupid and that they will take any order from from the president even to launch nuclear weapons unlawfully. Well, the question is, how can either we tell or more importantly, how can someone in the military tell whether it's a, you know, whether it's a top advisor like uh, uh, General Hyten there or someone lower in the ranks who's given the order to push the button to launch the missiles? How is it possible for them to know what's legal versus illegal, constitutional versus not constitutional? And if the president orders something that is illegal right now, the only recourse is for those people uh, to resign right on the spot. If he gives an unlawful order to heighten General Hyten, he says, well, I'm not going to do it. I can't do it. It's it's illegal. He and the president says, well, you need to do it anyway. I'm the president. I'm ordering it. Well, he has he can resign. But that's it. Only mass insubordination would stop such an order to launch war or to use nuclear weapons legally or illegally if the president were to order such an attack. 
As longtime nuclear weapons policy analyst Stephen Schwartz explained on this program last week after the uh, after the U.S. Senate had held a hearing in the Senate Foreign Relations Committee on exactly this topic, because there are a lot of lawmakers in D.C. who are uh, quite worried about Donald Trump having his finger on the button. Here's Stephen Schwartz explaining how that works. We have pre-planned options available. They've already been vetted legally by the military. So when the president has to make this decision, either because he decides he wants to or because he's faced with uh, an incoming attack, the presidential decision handbook has within it all of the pre-planned options that are available to the president. It's set up a bit like a menu of options. So there'll be a short description of the option and then a sort of a pictogram of what that would entail, what sort of level of destruction that would cause. Now, the president doesn't have to pick those options. The president can order up something special off the menu, as it were, in which case uh, they cannot launch immediately because they haven't figured out what that option is yet. So instead of something being carried out in a matter of minutes, it might take you know a matter of hours to implement something like that. In that case, if it's not a preplanned option, it wouldn't have been legally vetted. But again, at the end of the day, if General Kaler or General Mattis or General Kelly or any other general who's involved in this discussion steps up and says, I don't, I don't think this is appropriate. I don't think this is right. I don't think this is legal. The president can say, well, Jim, John, Mad Dog, whatever, I understand that. I'm sorry. I disagree with you. Let's roll. And it happens. And it happens, and those missiles are launched. So I guess somehow uh, General Hyten uh, over the weekend it, thinks that we're supposed to feel more comforted somehow by these generals who who surround Trump. We that we have to you know just trust the generals. As one report that I, I I read last week after that hearing in the U.S. Senate was held, uh, we're we're just going to trust the generals. Do you trust the generals here? Should we have confidence in them that they would stop Trump from doing anything stupid? Or should the law be changed? As Schwartz also suggested during our conversation last week, which you can download, by the way, in full at brandblog.com, uh, you know, he suggested, for example, that the, that the law should be changed to require, let's say, two specific people in the administration to sign off on such, a, uh, such an attack. The president and maybe the secretary of state or the secretary of defense. Or maybe Congress could just pass a law that the U.S. will never use a nuclear weapon first in a preemptive attack, as Senator Ed Markey of uh, Democrat from Massachusetts has proposed. Uh, that was also discussed in that hearing last week in the Foreign Relations Committee, uh, chaired by Republican Senator Bob Corker. So any thoughts on that? 818-985-5735 is our phone number. Do you trust the generals to save us from Donald Trump? That and anything else you want to talk about, we'll come back and get to your calls. 818-985-5735. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. We really need your support now more than ever. This is no longer a drill. It never was. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Welcome back. 
to the Bradcast. That song happens to be called Radioactive, if I'm right about that. Des is on the phone, so I can't ask her. Uh, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Our phone number, 818-985-5735. Let's get to some of your calls here real quick. Van in Los Alamitos, welcome to the Bradcast, Van. Uh, hi, Brad. Uh, you know, for a number of years, uh, I've been wondering about a particular situation with the pipeline. There was a one busted underneath the Yellow River. It was a line going from Canada to Oklahoma, and yep. they dumped out in how many thousands of gallons that ruined up farmland mm-hmm. and, uh, 20 miles down downstream. Who pays for the remediation of that? The the the, the cleanup or the uh, ultimate yeah. yeah the remediation. Yeah, the yeah. Uh, in theory, and Desiree, you may know mo- more about this, but uh, in theory, the company is supposed to clean it up, but they never have the money to do it. They often declare bankruptcy. And then uh, if they so if they don't clean it up, if the companies don't clean it up, the costs go do. to we do. Yes. The federal government. Yeah. Uh, that's where the Superfund steps in, does it not, Des? Let me, uh, yes, yeah. exactly. That's exactly what happens, because uh, when it is determined that a state or a local entity that together this job is too big to clean up or there's nobody left because the company has declared bankruptcy, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. there's nobody left to hold accountable, then it becomes often designated as a super fund cleanup. That's for the highest priority, most messed up places. And um, that's, that's that's unfortunately where it goes. Basically, the taxpayers pay for it when companies abandon their responsibility. So it's an alternate possibility. Why not have them have an insurance uh, deal pay for it? They have to pay for the insurance ahead of time. Yes, they actually do. They're supposed to, but you know the insurance that they get, they're not required to get insurance that might actually cover the job. They're just required to show proof of insurance, and it's not no guarantee that it will be enough to because do the, what they've messed up. Because there's no way to know how much it's going to end up costing, how long it's going to end up taking to clean right. up. I mean, for example, uh, on uh, in the Hudson River in New York, for example, Dow Chemical and the EPA are still negotiating over how much Dow Chemical is going to pay for PCBs that it dumped in the river decades ago that are still there. Yeah, I remember that. Does that answer your question, Van? Well, I'm not satisfied with the way it's. I think that they should have to post. Uh, it's figured figured in the cost mm-hmm. of putting a pipeline, like a third or something like that. Yeah, it, it then wouldn't it wouldn't be reasonable. See, and it might stop it. Yep. Well, I hear you. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, we, we've been letting these guys get away with literally murder for years. Thanks, That's Van. Right. I appreciate okay. that call. Uh, let me uh, see if I can get quickly to John in Sun Valley. Hey, John, welcome to the broadcast. What's on your mind, sir? Well, yeah, in the same way that I don't trust Dow and the dumping of their PCBs, I, I don't wouldn't trust any representative of the military industrial complex to... Uh, to protect us in in event of a possible war decision, mm-hmm. to keep uh, to keep uh, uh, Trump or I guess any other president from launch, uh, launching a nuclear missile. What ought we do, John? How should the policy be changed? How should it be changed? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, somebody, John, somebody's got to make the call whether we're going to use. I don't want to go quite so extreme as to say uh, make nuclear war illegal, but uh, I will. Okay. Make it illegal. Who makes it illegal? Makes it illegal in the U.S. or the U.N. Makes, makes it illegal? illegal? The, the people of the country, this democracy, will, will make it illegal. People of this country, the U.S. Absolutely. Well, it's I, about time we take it 
to democracy instead of take it back to some other hack yeah. Uh, system that we've had all yeah. along for the last two two hundred years. Yeah, good good luck convincing uh, our Congress to do that when our Congress has yeah. uh, you know let uh, presidents get away literally yeah. again with murder all over the uh, all over the world yeah. constantly. I should have said the, yeah. I should have said the military industrial congressional complex. All right, there you go. Thanks, John. We'll we'll wait for them to take action. That'll work. Appreciate the call. Uh, do I have time for one more here? Uh, oh, very quickly. Let me see if I can get Martin in. Hey, Martin uh, from L.A. Welcome to the broadcast. I gave you about thirty seconds. That's all we got. As far as Pastor Generals is concerned, remember Doctor Strange Love. Yep. Yeah. Uh, there's your answer. The only way to, to keep our nuclear arsenal from being fired, as far as I know, is to disarm it. Uh, that, yep, that would be fine by and me. Send the word, send the send the word out to various geeks, nerds, etc., and scientists involved to do that. Geek, thank you. Thanks, Martin. Find a way to do it. Thank I pre- you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, geeks, scientists, and nerds, you have been put on notice. Stop this madness. All right. Uh, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to Dana Floberg of FreePress.net, my guest today, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com or your favorite uh, podcast site, whatever that may be. Hopefully it's available there as well. You can drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide if you don't mind. All right, until we meet again, which will be tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.